Welcome to WNN HHFM's 103.5 Just in Time Conversations. Today, our guest is Steve Kennedy with the People's Party Project. He's the organizing and network director. Thank you, Steve, for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, I, so, you know, there's a multitude of facets of who you are. You're a law student. And so tell me how you got involved with the People's Party Project and, you know, what made you decide to go to law school? Sure. Yeah. It's like, for me, it's a little bit of a winding journey, I guess. I, uh, I originally... And I went to college. I was I was going to for to for a degree in chemistry, and ultimately I ended up dropping out though and joining the army. Uh, in the army for a while, uh, and uh, you know went to Iraq for 14 months. Did that whole thing, came back, and I had a really difficult transition out. So when I got back, I wasn't diagnosed at the time, but PTSD. Uh, it was the kind of thing where. Um, I wasn't getting the support that I needed. Ultimately, um, I went AWOL for a while. I got kicked out. And uh, dealing with a lot of personal issues there, mental health issues, that kind of thing. And um, <laughs> I uh, it took a few years to kind of get things settled. But ultimately, I, uh, I got back on track. I went to college again got that chemistry degree and I started working on a PhD in chemistry, uh, which was, was okay. It was the kind of thing like I, uh, uh, I enjoyed the work to an extent, but it was, um, on the side, I started getting involved in veterans advocacy and things like that. So I uh, connected with the veterans legal services clinic at Yale law and started working with them. And it was the kind of thing I was, a, a one of the lead plaintiffs on a class action lawsuit against the army because of the way they discharged me and they've discharged tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of other veterans who have mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as we were doing that, we also started doing some state legislative advocacy around similar issues, you know, so getting state benefits for veterans who have things like PTSD, traumatic brain injury, military sexual assault, um, to get their state benefits. And working with the clinic, seeing all the everything that they were doing, um, it was the kind of thing where it's like, you know, I'm working on this chemistry PhD, doing the research every day and that kind of thing, but I started putting more and more and more time into this legal work that I was doing with the clinic, and eventually it made sense. I was just like, this is this is what I should be doing. So um, I started going to law school, and I wanted to take some of the, the um, approaches that we took in the veterans advocacy where we're you know, uh, kind of fighting for more marginalized communities, people with mental health conditions, mm. people of color, um, you know, like people who are facing disparities, like in the way that they're receiving their benefits, like whether it's because of gender, sexual orientation, things like that. Um, and I wanted to go, to, you know, to me because I've been working with the clinic. Like law school seemed like a good place to go and do that to kind of broaden like the uh, places where I can have an impact. And um, while I was there, um, I connected with the People's Parity Project and uh saw the work that they were doing where there's a lot of like a lot of what we do is doing things around workers rights um working again for kind of like historically marginalized communities trying to like take the ways that the legal system disadvantages the actual like people in this country 
you know, in favor of corporations, in favor of the state, things like that, and trying to reorient the law in that direction, both through change changes in the law and through just changes in the culture of the legal profession. Um, so that was what kind of like brought me there. So I started the chapter at UConn Law of the People's Parity Project, and then you know I'm an evening student. I think I was always working full time and going to school at night, and um, eventually a position opened up at PPP. And I was able to get that. So now I'm our, our organizing and network director, working with other law students who want to do similar work to what we were doing in the Yukon chapter, give them some of, the, kind of that same kind of experience that I got. And that's what kind of brought me there. Mm. And so what what is the, the, the main focus in terms of the legislation y'all are working on so right now, um, you know, we've we've worked on a bunch of different things, like, like I said, specifically around workers' rights at the state level, but we also, um, right now, our main campaign that we're working on in Connecticut is to increase the professional diversity of our um, state judicial system. So, look, you know, we did a report last spring looking at the professional backgrounds of all of the judges in the state um, that we could, you know, there were a few we couldn't find, but for the most part, all the judges... Um, what they did before they came to the bench uh, to see basically what just like what it looks like, and what we found is that there's a real um, a really skewed um, kind of proportion where a huge number of our judges worked as either prosecutors or corporate attorneys, <laughs> and there are very few judges who come from public interest backgrounds, people like legal aid attorneys, public defenders, civil rights attorneys, some of those people. Um, so now we're, we've built this coalition of, you know, kind of like community organizations, racial justice organizations, disability rights, um, you know, legal rights organizations to try and change that. We're trying to push the governor to, uh, nominate more people from these backgrounds, which we're, you know, categorizing as, categorizing as kind of like pro people, basically people who, who are working with, um, individuals up against, you know, whether it's corporate corporations, the state, um, you know, talking about people like legal aid attorneys, public defenders, um, plaintiff's attorneys who are, you know, saying bringing employment discrimination suits against their employers, things like that. Um, people who are working directly with the people most impacted by our laws, uh, kind of most intimately. Uh, we want to see more of those people on the bench uh, because there is, uh, you know, I think it's, it's the kind of thing where that's going to make a difference. And that's actually, that plays out in um, the literature. When you look at, there have been studies that show that there is an impact. People from certain backgrounds are more likely to rule in different ways. So you have um, former prosecutors and corporate attorneys are more likely to side with employers in things like discrimination suits uh, in employment um, over the workers who are bringing these suits compared to other attorneys, uh, former attorneys. Um, you see the same thing in um, the criminal system where former prosecutors are more likely to uh, people appearing before former prosecutors are more likely to be found guilty. They also receive statistically longer sentences mm -hmm. um, than people from other backgrounds. So it's not the kind of thing where we just looked at this and say, hey, this doesn't really seem fair. What about these poor public interest attorneys? It actually has an impact on everybody in the state who's appearing before our courts. Um, and again, looking at state courts, this is where most of the kind of legal action is happening. There's a lot of focus on 
the federal courts when we look at things like this, um, but they're only handling maybe 5% of the cases. 95% of cases that people are going to be involved in are happening in our state courts. And what we're finding in Connecticut is that those courts are really skewed towards people who, again, like not saying anything about individual judges, but statistically are tend to be more punitive, tend to side more with you know corporate authorities, things like that. So we're looking to make a change there. No, that that makes sense. Uh, for those of y'all who are joining us, you're listening to Just in Time Conversations on WNHHFM 103.5. Today, our guest is Steve Kennedy from People's Parity Project. Uh, you were just talking about what the bench looks like, the diversity or lack thereof diversity in, in, in who's on our bench. What's the process of, you know, you said that the governor nominates people, but for everyday people, how does a person become a judge? That's a great question. Um, and, and this is another thing that longer term we're kind of looking at is bringing more kind of transparency to the process because it's a little bit opaque. So basically the way it works is that an attorney who wants to become a judge will put in an application to um, the Judicial Selection Commission, uh, which is a group of um, people nominated by uh, both the governor and by people from the General Assembly to consider the you know the qualifications of people who want to become judges, and they'll go through an interview process with them, and you know they'll either be approved or not approved, and then from there the list of people who were approved to become judges goes to the governor, and the governor's office decides who's going to be nominated for any vacancies, and they have to choose from those pre-selected um, people. Uh, some of the issues there um, are that we don't we don't know kind of you know from like a diversity standpoint we don't know who's applying um there's no reporting on like either demographic or professional diversity so there have been a lot of initiatives actually like since the Malloy administration to increase the demographic diversity of the bench um more people of color more women have been nominated uh and have joined the bench like it's we've gotten a lot better there but even with that we don't know Kind of who's coming in and who's coming out how many people are applying how many people are actually getting approved um and for as far as professional diversity goes we haven't looked at it at all um as far as we know we're the first organization to look even just at the current bench let alone anything like the pipeline or anything like that so um a big issue with the process is we just you know we don't know maybe it, it could be that like fewer people um from public interest backgrounds apply um and there could be a few reasons for that it's just like it's there's a really clear pathway from like corporate attorney to judge again, because that's like what our profile looks like in the state. Um, so it's possible that we just, we need to work on getting more people to apply in the first place. But something we've also heard though, um, especially since the release of this report, we've heard from some public interest attorneys who have tried to go through the process. They've applied, gone for their interview and they start getting more questions like, okay, you've been representing tenants in housing court for the last 10 years. Can you really be impartial presented with a case like that as a judge? Um, the issue being that that's true of corporate attorneys too. You know, like you've spent 10 years representing corporations, finding whatever defense you can against like a, a gender discrimination suit or something like that. 
can you be impartial presented with the same kinds of situations? You know, and, and again, these studies show that like maybe not. And that's probably true for everybody. I think like you can't help but bring your experience to the bench. You don't just throw that all away and become this, you know, unbiased, impartial observer. So you don't you become have, blind and have scales. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You you bring all of that with you. So I think that there's no getting around that. But the you know from what we're hearing, a lot of what um, you know the people who are making these decisions are concerned about, is, like they they worry about that for certain attorneys and not others. So some so I think like some you know your legal aid attorney, your public defender is seen as more kind of you know zealous you know they're they're like activists or something like that whereas your corporate attorney is just your neutral attorney applying the law and representing their client uh and i think that that's just not the case for anybody you can't there's no such thing as neutrality in the law Uh, i think there's that's the the goal that's the idea but you know studies bear this out it's the kind of thing you can't help but bring that with you so um what's important you know we're not saying like never put another corporate attorney on the bench, but we should have some kind of balance so you have different viewpoints there. This is something that, like, when we did this report, we were looking back at um, some historical records and things like that, and even just looking at um, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. After um, Thurgood Marshall's retirement, there were all these, you know, things written about him, especially by his colleagues on the Supreme Court, and a lot of what they talked about, they would talk about, okay, it's like, you know, the first black person on the Supreme Court, like that's bringing a different perspective. But they would also talk about his professional background. They would say, okay, like, this is somebody who was a civil rights attorney, a criminal defense attorney. Um, he's seen what happens when the law doesn't live up to what it's supposed to be. He's mm-hmm. seen, you know, both personally and professionally, you know, the people most kind of pushed to the side by the law, the people who are being disserved by the law. Um, and brings that to our deliberations, you know, so we, we hear a case, you know, this would be other justices on the Supreme court talked about this saying just like he would come in and, you know, this is a totally different perspective. We wouldn't have considered it this way. And it did actually impact the way that we ruled. Um, and right now we need more perspectives like that. So, you know, again, this isn't any slight on any sitting judges or anything like that, but you can't, like, we all have blind spots. Yeah. And the only way that we can cover all of that is to make sure that we have people coming from all different places so that we can, we're can we covering each other. You know, whichever blind spots we have, someone else can see right there. Um, it's something that uh, has only really begun to be appreciated at the federal level. Um, Joe Biden has actually been pretty good about um, nominating more professionally diverse, more demographically diverse um, federal court judges but it's not something we've seen as much at the state level and we certainly haven't seen it in connecticut yet wow no i you know i as you were talking about that you know there's also these opinions that get drafted and and those opinions have a great deal to affect what precedents get created and what uh law can be built off of what precedents right and so one that comes to mind right the chinese exclusion act where i'm like oh that's racist Mm -hmm. (laughs) i was like oh a ton of our immigration law is built off of a foundation 
that is fundamentally flawed because of who was on the bench at the time and what perspectives were the prevailing perspectives. Yeah, well, and especially, you know, you look at, so cases like that, they're coming from, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court, but you see the same thing in the states from your state appellate courts. They're the ones who get to decide what the law is, you know, so your legislature will pass laws, but any ambiguity there, it's all being resolved by ultimately your state Supreme Court. Um, You know, it'll go through all the courts before it gets there, but the appellate courts are the ones that are ultimately saying, this is what the law means. Your trial court is doing, you know, all of your kind of like fact-finding, figuring out what's happening in a specific case. But if there's any dispute in what the law means, it's going to the, the Connecticut Appellate Court, it's going to Connecticut Supreme Court. And that's actually where we see even worse disparities as far as professional diversity. Um, at the district court level, it's still very skewed towards corporate attorneys and prosecutors, but it's not quite as bad. But right now, on both the Appellate Court and the Connecticut Supreme Court, um, we don't have a single... Uh, since our most recent departures, we don't have a single um, judge or justice with a public interest background, like somebody like a legal aid attorney or a public defender. There's one um, Supreme Court justice who was like a plaintiff's attorney. So again, people, some of the same people that we're pushing for, but that's the only one. Um, Otherwise, it's people who've worked as prosecutors, people who've worked as um, corporate attorneys, people who've worked in government, and that's it. Y'all just heard it here on Just In Time Conversations, WNHHFM 103.5, uh, with our guest, Steve Kennedy, People's, uh, it's People's Parody Project. Parody <laughs> Project. Um, I, I, I guess, so just for people following along with us, there's a local court, appellate court, Supreme Court, state Supreme Court, and then you have your circuit courts, then the Supreme Court, which is the court we usually think of when we think about all the big decisions that are made, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have a unique opportunity at the state level to, you know, really diversify those first three rungs. You know, in, in terms of y'all's organization and this coalition that y'all have, you know, what are the things in the bill that you're asking for to specifically to address the issues you just laid out? Sure. So the, um, one of the tricky things with this is there's not like a specific bill that we're Mm -hmm. pushing. So, you know, we've been talking to, uh, some of the folks on the judiciary committee who get, you know, they get to approve whoever the governor nominates. But like I said, you have this little bit of like a black box, where the nomination actually comes through. So we're trying to catch it at that earlier point. Like we don't necessarily want to have some big confirmation fight or something like that. Once we're farther along the process into the legislature, which um, you know just happened in New York um, and nationally organization was a part of that. But what we want to see is seeing more professionally diverse, more demographically diverse nominees come through in the first place. So it doesn't come to like some big conflict. So we uh, we're actually meeting with the governor's office tomorrow, um, but uh, but yeah, what we're looking for is the governor to you know from the people who've been approved by the selection commission to choose more people who come from these backgrounds who have this experience representing individuals um, you know facing uh, 
you know, powerful interests. Um, because again, we don't know what that list looks like, um, which is, I think, an issue for kind of like future years. Like maybe we should make this a more transparent process so we can get more input from the people actually who are going to be appearing before these judges. Um, but in the meantime, for right now, we do have um, an expected vacancy because um, Justice Maria Araujo Khan was uh, appointed to the federal bench. So she hasn't been approved yet. She hasn't been um, confirmed yet. But we're expecting that she will be. So that's going to leave an open space on the state Supreme Court. So the, our first ask is that she be replaced with somebody who um, comes from a public interest background. Mm-hmm. So um, Justice Khan did work for a couple of years as a public defender. Um, and she's the last person now in the appellate courts who has any experience like that. And um, the last vacancy that was created was from um, Justice Christine Keller, who uh, took senior status. She um, had legal aid experience. So again, we lost her. She's replaced by prosecutor. Um, So we'd like to see that come down a little differently this time. We want to see somebody who can be that Thurgood Marshall in those deliberations. Mm. You know, somebody who has that experience, um, you know, seeing like what the law means for like an actual individual person, you know, and not just like a company's bottom line or something like that. Um, you know, getting a good conviction that's going to be good for your tough on crime DA or whatever, you know, like, um, that, that's a bad example because it's not how it works in Connecticut, but you know, you get what I mean. Um, so that's the first ask is that we get somebody in here with um, public interest experience mm. onto the Supreme Court, but then also a commitment to, um, you know, nominating more people like that at the lower court level. So like at the superior court level, which is your trial court, we have about three dozen vacancies right now. Wow. So it's a good opportunity for the governor to really make a statement and say this is something that's important in the same way that President Biden has where, you know, something like 60% or something, I, this is, I don't know the number, but mm-hmm. a majority of his nominees have come from public interest backgrounds um, and he's made it a real commitment. We want to see Governor Lamont do the same thing. Um, this is important for, you know, not just for... um you know, having a bench that's reflective of the entire profession, of our population, um, but also just, you know, for the people that are appearing before the court. You know, it's like I said, like, this this has a real impact on the people appearing before these judges. Like, the their background does make a difference. Um, you know, studies have shown that. And, you know, again, the only way to, to deal with that is to try and average out what things look like, you know, across different experiences, across you know, both professionally and personally. And um, we're looking for a commitment from the governor to uh, to recognize that and to try and, you know, we're not going to change this overnight, but to make a commitment to, you know, make this skew in the other direction. You know, so if we have a class of nominees in the, for this, these three dozen vacancies, you know, we shouldn't see the 70-30 ratio that we're seeing on the current bench. It should be maybe the other way around. It should be 70% public interest and 30% everyone else or something like that, you know. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking for right now. Yeah, it, it's just fascinating that, you know, there's perceived bias, even though there's a particular class and status uh, uh, in, in terms of who 
runs the bench. Yeah, I think it's a real, it's a problem within the legal profession generally. Um, I think that, you know, again, you strive for impartiality, which I think is important. Like the, it's a good goal, but to take your goal and say, well, great, that means that we are impartial and ignore any other effects from things where it's just like, that's not true, you know, has real impacts on people. And, um, there's a real, there is a perception, um, especially because of some of the incentives. So like, you know, as like a law student and stuff like that, you have a lot of incentives to go into corporate law or something like that. We're just like, the, you know, it's, it's huge money, especially considering all the loans you take out. Um, a lot of schools, uh, you know, and I've seen this in my, my job now because I work with schools across the country. Like in a lot of schools, it's just really, there's a really direct kind of like law school to corporate law pipeline where just like they have really strong access to their students. They get in and um, they have these on-campus interviews. They have networking events, all that kind of stuff because they have the resources to, you know, put people out to do that. Um, and they get a lot of students locked in like right off the bat. You know, your first summer after your first year, you know, your internship. Yeah, you, you go do that thing and now they're promising you a job when you get out. Then you can get your loans repaid. We'll pay for you to do your bar prep, like all that kind of stuff. It's And it's hard. You get a lot of students coming in who... Um, you mean you don't want to get paid <laughs> sixty or 70000 versus a hundred and twenty? Hundred thirty, two hundred thousand. Worse than that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you're you are looking at something like you know sixty thousand versus two hundred fifty thousand. It's crazy, you know. Um, and that's and that's just like your your bottom line. You also have all of the steps along the way, where you're going to a network event and like, you know, you got a bunch of people from like Connecticut's a small state. It's a small bar, so you can get to know a lot of people really well at some of these events even. And um, place yourself to to do to do really well, like financially. Um, but that's kind of at odds with you know there are also studies showing just like the the percentage of law students coming into school who want to do public interest type work versus the ones that come out doing it. It's it's hugely different. Most people come in wanting to make a difference for regular people. Um, most of them leave doing kind of the opposite. And like law school gives you a lot of ways of explaining that away to make that feel more comfortable. And again, like for a lot of people, this is just, this is your option. You can't really do anything else. Um, you can't afford it, but they make it pretty easy on you, you know, um, to, to kind of make that decision. Um, so, and I think that's part of what leads to this perception of people who do end up going into public interest as being more ideological or something like that. Um, because you do have to, you got to turn all that stuff down, you know, and say like, no, I came here to, uh, you know, represent people who are, are facing like being crushed by the state and have no representation, you know, um, that's what I came here for and I'm going to do it. That does take some, um, you know, fortitude to kind of drive through and, and um, you know, the, 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 the dedication to still go do that. Um, is tough. So I think that it's not wrong that these are maybe different kinds of people, but they're not, that doesn't make them the wrong kinds of people for the bench either, you know? Um, 
again, I think like looking at some of these studies, you see the same effects on the corporate side. You know, mm-hmm. again, I think you can't help but work for the same kind of client for however long it takes you to be qualified to be a judge and not have that impact just the way you think about the law. You know, so like, again, taking the employment discrimination example, if you're working for a firm that's always representing the employer in those kinds of cases and your job, you know, is to, you know, again, you're supposed to zealously represent your client. Your job is to, you know, consider the other side's arguments, but ultimately put them aside and say, this is how I'm going to beat these. I have, you know, X, Y, and Z arguments for why this wasn't discrimination or it wasn't the employer's fault or whatever. Um, you spend however much time approaching every single case you do in that way, it's going to impact the way you see these cases as a judge too. Um, and, you know, the the housing attorney we talked to who got questions like that, again, I think that's that's a fair question. You know, like you view these things in that way, but what isn't right is that like those people are the only ones being asked those questions. You, know, you only hear that for people who are doing kind of like, uh, you know, legal aid, public defense, again, civil rights, that kind of work, um, and corporate work, prosecution is seen as being more n- neutral, and it's just not. Like, you you can't, there these ideas are kind of completely at odds, actually, because in, you know, in law school, in your practice as an attorney, like, you're really taught that, like, all that matters is winning for your client which you know is how our system works it's an adversarial system the presumption is that on both sides you're presenting your best arguments and then whichever argument is the best is the one that's going to win um but on the individual level you spend all that time only on one side it's going to impact the way that you think no i i i I wholeheartedly agree um, y'all are listening to Just In Time Conversations, WNHH 103.5 FM. Um, Steve Kennedy is our guest, People's Parody Project. Uh, in terms of how we resource prosecutors or uh, versus public defenders, <laughs> like, or, or how well-resourced these firms are versus public interest lawyers like where just anecdotally are those equal no <laughs> no um so as far as like prosecutors versus public defense that i actually haven't been as like um i don't know steeped in that in connecticut but i can just i can take an example from new york because i have been a little bit involved with that um right now you know new york is going through its budget process and um Governor Hochul put forth her proposed budget and there's a huge increase for prosecutors and funding for public defense is totally flat. No changes at all. And that's at the same time as um, some of them are on strike right now in New York because of the low pay, the low benefits, things like that. And the governor comes out with this budget that says like, well, we need all these resources for prosecutors, but we're not going to do anything for the public, the public defenders. Um, I don't know that it's the same in Connecticut. I haven't looked at like what funding disparities look like, but if you look at something like public interest versus corporate, it's, it's huge. That's like I said, I mean, you, you know, being in Connecticut, 
you have the opportunity to go work. You know, you could work for a huge corporate firm in New York and not have to move. And their, you know, their first year salaries are like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's huge. Um, and for somebody who, you know, for me, I'm I'm really fortunate. So I should huge disclaimer here. <laughs> the army is paying for me to go to law school. So like. I don't have to worry about that part. Like I can go and actually do the things that I want to do because I don't have hundreds of thousand dollars in the loans. Um, that's not true for a lot of people. So you get um, something, you know, these opportunities put in front of you where again, you, like your first year you can make $250,000. That's a, that makes a huge difference. I think that's, a, that's a really strong pull that like makes it, you know, makes it so that people even, you know, if you're on the fence or something like that, like, at the very least, it's like, okay, I'll go take the money for the next few years and pay off my loans, then I'll figure out the rest of it later. And maybe you do, maybe you don't, you know. Um, it's easy to get caught up in that when you're in, like, the, the system is just really pushing you in that direction. Um, it's, it's hard, I think, to, uh, to fight against that without something like, you know, my situation where, like, I, I don't have those loans. So, like, there's no, again, this isn't meant to be, like, judgmental or anything like that, like, most people do not have the same um, advantages that I do in this way where I can come and do this work and, you know, the money that I'm making is enough um, because there is, it is tough, like looking at starting salaries for certain public interest jobs. It's like, you know, I don't want to like play into the stereotype because it is, it's not like, it's a living wage, you know, like you, um, I think that a lot of people get, pushed off of it too because like you know it's talked about like you don't make anything um and like sure considering the size of the loans things like that it's it's really not as much as it should be but you can live on it um so i don't want to make it sound impossible but it is a huge disparity um like you really the um the government and this is like this is true for prosecutors too whether it's prosecution public defense legal aid like no one can compete with corporate law the money's huge um and it's the kind of thing where they'll tell you uh you'll come into it too and it's not even just like i'm gonna go take all this money and um be doing terrible work or something like that it's like you know you come in and they'll say they highlight a lot of the pro bono work that you'll do you know you get to do free work for you know different you know people who can't afford an attorney and that kind of thing but you know you're talking about like two percent of your time maybe something like that and that's not to say anything about the systemic impacts of like what the other 98% of your work is, you know? So like you'll see things where firms that do, um, you know, they're representing, uh, we looked at this at one point and like there was a, you know, a, a major like national firm. They really highlight a lot of their um, housing work where they're like, Oh, you know, they'll do some like eviction defense and things like that. But at the same time, they're, they make their money off of representing housing investors, you know? So like some of the same actors kind of driving the crisis, like are where they make their money. And then they step in and like catch a couple people who've fallen through the cracks. But for, you know, the system is still completely broken because of what their main clients are doing, you know? Um, so, but that's not how it's presented. Again, you know, you see, you, you go to these presentations from employers at law school and it's just kind of like, oh, you know, you get to learn all these great, these great things. Like you're, you're doing litigation things like that. 
getting experience you want. You get to do the pro bono work so you don't have to feel bad about it. And, you know, it, it takes some of the sting off of not actually going and doing the work you wanted to do in the first place, I think. I, uh, as you were talking, I, you know, Connecticut has three law schools, Quinnipiac, Yale, um, and UConn, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Yale always holds the Rebellious Lawyer Conference, right, um, uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, uh, but, you know, what, what else could the law schools be doing to educate students to, to talk about these issues, to bring awareness to bench disparity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that this is something that, you know, is a big part of the work that we do at PPP is like trying to address some of the ways that um, that things are skewed in this way, like at at the law school level. Um, and there are a few things that we focus on. Uh, the first being a, a addressing some of this like income disparity. So like you can't do anything about, um, you know, like big law is going to pay what it pays and it's going to be huge and that's fine. Um, but what you can do, though, is um, schools can better fund their public interest students. So a big problem um, that some of our students have is that you, you know, for your summers, you're faced with like, you know, you can go take a summer associate job with a corporate firm and get paid like it's 30, a, 40, you get a lot, way more. It's like you get paid like it's a legit job. Like you're working, you're having act, you're like an associate for the summer. Basically, you get paid hundred something thousand dollars for the summer at, an, at the right firm. Um, it's crazy. Um, well, as just said, it's the equivalent of that for the summer. You know, so it's not like you make a hundred thousand dollars in the summer, but you make a lot of money, especially for a student. And um, you have that versus taking an unpaid internship in a public interest firm you know something like that and that's not like there's some where you can get paid but and schools will have things like they have um public interest scholarships and that kind of stuff where you get some money for the summer but almost every school that we've you know we've kind of looked at like in the country um it's just not even it's not even close and it's not again we're not going to reach parity with big law but like you know it's the kind of thing where like they kind of toss you some cash so it's like you're not just not making anything, but it's not really enough to live on on its own a lot of times. So what you have is either people who have money already who can afford to take an unpaid or poorly paid internship um, taking these positions, or people taking out tons of student loans to cover that time too. You know, I'm not getting paid or I'm not getting paid enough, but I can take out student loans, so I do it. And then you're just adding even more to that huge um, burden that you had already. Um so providing more funding for public interest students, I think, is really important, um, whether that's um, over the summer or even during the year. Like, that was something that I was fortunate enough to be able to do. I had a paid fellowship with Greater Hartford Legal Aid for one academic year, and it came with a stipend, which is, like, pretty great. It's, like, not that common. A lot of times these are free. Maybe they'll give you academic credit, but that's it. Um, so I was really grateful for that, but it's the kind of thing where not enough places do that and there aren't enough opportunities to um, make that happen. Um, so that's an issue. And then I think there's also just, you know, this isn't true at every school, but at a lot of schools, again, the your career office and things like that, it's very much 
corporate focused. I mean, and, and part of that is just because of the incentives they have. So like your career office, like a lot of what they're looking at is just getting people placed in jobs, you know? So like what's going to be reported for like when people are thinking of going to your school is just like how many people are employed one year out, how many people are employed two years out, whatever it is. Um, and there are more jobs in the corporate sector. So like they have to really focus on that to try and, you know, just get people placed. It doesn't like, you don't need to, you know, I'm sure, again, on the individual level, these career counselors, I think, really care about people finding jobs that they want. But there are these incentives where it's just like you do just need to get a job, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and there, and you have all these corporate firms showing up and saying, just like, hey, we have all these open positions. We want to do on-campus interviews. We want to do networking events. Like, let us, you know, if you give us access to, access to your students, we'll give them jobs, you know, which is true. Um, but you just don't see the same from, you know, largely you don't see the same from public interest organizations. I think partly because, you know, they can't, they can't compete in the same way, like monetarily. Um, but also just, you know, who's going to even do it? You know, you have to, you don't, you don't have the same money. You don't have the same, um, staffing, that kind of thing where you can just like spare somebody, you know, to go and do this stuff necessarily, um, multiple times during the year. Um, the the timelines are usually a little bit longer. Like they'll start hiring for corporate firms starts super early. It'll be again like it could be your first summer. You kind of get locked into this track. Um, and for public interest, you wouldn't necessarily know you had a job with them until like the spring you're going to graduate. You know, mm-hmm. so it's um, when you look at it on the individual level there are a lot there are just a lot of incentives that people have to kind of like take something that's available and like usually if it's if we're just going for availability it's going to be corporate law um so you need to provide further supports to like let people know like hey this job is coming we just can't guarantee it to you right now but like give people more examples of people who you know um have taken that path and you know talking about judges like have taken that path to something like a judgeship so um, that's another issue where you do have, you know, there's a really clear pipeline from like law school to prosecution to either elected office or a judgeship, you know, you don't have that in legal aid, you know, um, you don't have as many examples to kind of look to and say, okay, this person went and worked in legal aid for 10 years and then they were able to apply and they got a judgeship or something like that. You have tons of examples to draw from and you have a lot of like big kind of uh, like networks that will help you as well um so that's something that this isn't necessarily on the law school but a law school could facilitate this through their alumni networks and things like that just trying to like improve what that pipeline looks like um for people who are going into public interest or plaintiff's law things like that um i think it's difficult to see your way through to that again this is like the the path is just so clear um for people who go into other positions yeah no i i uh i i definitely agree with you on that um you know as we near our time um where can people find uh you know people's parody project where can they connect with the coalition and the work that y'all are doing yeah definitely so our our website is www.peoplesparity.org um we also have 
the report that we did on the Connecticut judiciary specifically um, okay. on that website. It's, you know, same website slash CT judiciary. Um, and anybody who's interested in getting involved, my email is just steve at peoplesparity.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we do have, we're still waiting to see kind of how this meeting goes and, you know, what nominations end up, how they kind of shape up, like who ends up being um, nominated. But there are definitely, you know, more opportunities to get involved um, in the short term during this this session so we can try and start addressing this right off the bat. But we also will have, you know, we have longer term projects, like I said. Um, it's going to take more pressure to kind of bring more of these nominees forward. We have pipeline work to do to try and get more public interest attorneys to apply in the first place. Um, and there's just, there, there's, there's change needed as far as, uh, what the transparency of the process. So, we, you know, longer term, we're looking at things like, again, reporting statistics on who's applying and who's being accepted. Um, you know, something like, is there a short list that the governor's, selecting from you know we don't really know how this all happens in there and i think like trying to bring more transparency to the process so that you know the people in the state can kind of see how these decisions are being made and weigh in if if they disagree with how they're being made um that's that's gonna be another longer term project um that if people reach out we can definitely try and hook you up with oh i uh i i you know i always uh think about how how you know the law plays a role a role in our lives so profoundly and whether you're talking about you know who gets clerkships who clerks with who what schools right um and how there really is just a whole cottage industry where people go into certain aspects of law and then are really able to uh you know, shape how our communities look. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, most people like to think that law is just community agreements. Uh, um, but there are people who don't live in certain communities, never interact with certain communities, don't have an interest to be near certain communities um, that really get to shape it around us. Um, one of my favorite things to always ask people towards the end um is what's a song right what's something that we can think of connect to the to the work that y'all are doing or something that speaks to you on a personal level i don't think i have a specific song but as far as like this work goes i feel like if i was really going to be digging into it i'd be listening to like britney howard something like that hey (laughs) britney here you have it britney howard (laughs) Uh, Steve Kennedy, thank you so much um, for connecting with us on a Just in Time Conversations, WNHHFM 103.5. Uh, again, People's Parity Project, Steve, thank you. I'm your host, Justin Farmer. Until next time, let's continue to plant the seeds of change so that we can grow together.
Messing with a dog like me.